Traveling the Vortex. We've joined Lethbridge Stewart as he defends Fang Rock from green jellyfish and were beasts, and arrive at episode 265. I'm Keith. I'm Sean. I'm Glenn. How are you guys? Very good, thank you. Very good. You guys have a good week? It's pretty uneventful. Yeah. Don't do too much. Same here. I watched a lot of movies. That's about it. There was some big news this week, in case anybody did not see it. What? Yeah. There was big news in Doctor Who? Big news. Get out of here. They did not win the National Television Awards. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Doctor Who lost out once again to Downton Abbey for Best Drama. Oh, that is news, but that's not the big news I'm talking about. Hold on. You can sort of excuse that whole Downton Abbey thing since this it's was the last season. season so. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I tried watching Downton Abbey, couldn't get into it, but Sarah it's... loved it. Say it one more time. That was not the big news, or down, or Doctor Who lost. Yeah, that part. Doctor Who lost. Doctor Who lost to Downton Abbey. We gotta get him a soundboard. Yeah, we've got to get him a soundboard. I worked way too hard for that. Yes, you did. <laughs> yes, you did. <laughs> no, the big news is Stephen Moffat is going to step down as showrunner after series 10, which won't be until 2016. <laughs> or no, 2017. 2017. Spring We're of 2017. We're in 2016. 2017. We're the only... So there's two bits of... There's three bits of news couched in this one... <laughs> bit of news. Moffat stepping down effective after season series 10. Series 10 won't air until spring of 2017, which means we get a Christmas special in 2016. That's it. I would I hope that for like Red Nose Day or Children in Need, they'll actually do a bit of something more than they have since they won't be filming. I can virtually guarantee you we won't get a scene from an episode. That's true. Yeah. So, yay. <laughs> <laughs> and then, taking over for series 11, will be Chris Chibnall. Ch- how is it pronounced? Chibnall? Chibnall? Chibnall. 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 Yeah. I always thought it was Chinball. It's not. No, it's Chib- no N. Chibnall. Chibnall. The, the N is after the B. Chib- I think we've Chibnall. said Chimball in the past, but it's... Chibnall. Chibnall. Okay, so let's break this down and, and deal with these one one by one. Uh, reaction to news item number one. Aw. Not <laughs> we unexpected. Knew it was we knew eventually. it was coming. The seeds had been planted. The, the, the garden was growing. He'd it. been hinting. So I'm a little disappointed, but I also think it's probably about time. And I'm okay Six with it. Six years is a long time to run the show. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Six seasons, I guess. P- piece of news number two. What? <laughs> Christmas. But I personally, I, I like Doctor Who being on in the spring. I think it works better in the spring. I don't know why. I just, you know, that feels right to me versus I, August. Well, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm all right with that. The problem that I see is there, uh, the, the controller for the BBC, and I don't remember the woman's name, but she said that the reason why they're holding off on releasing Moffat's last series in 2016 is because they're count, they're, they have so much programming going on this year 
that they don't want Doctor Who to get lost in kind of a mix because of the Olympics for this year, and she cited two other big major events. And so she decided she won. They needed to focus on Doctor Who and give it its own space for being, you know. Blessed. I think there's probably some truth to that, but I think there's also some politically intrigue there. You know, they're trying to. They're trying to gloss it over, but I'm sure there are other... I think it's spin. I think there are other contributing factors in there. I think, number one, you don't have to spend as much of a budget. Then this year, you can bank up some money. Yeah, that's true. Um, The other thing, though... When did season nine premiere? In the fall. I I knew it was was September August, August, September, yeah. 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 The other thing that, that people are speculating is, does that mean now from here on out, after spring of 2017... Does that mean we'll get spring Doctor Who every year from then on out? And the problem with that is, is if you if we don't and they go back to fall, then we have another long nine night. months. Which, that we have to wait. That wouldn't surprise me either. Actually, it's more than nine months. It'd be almost yeah, more than a year to wait yeah. for another Doctor series Doctor. Which well, you get Christmas again. As, well, yeah. yeah, that which wouldn't which they didn't really address the Christmas after season ten and everything I saw. There no, will be one. Go that far. Yeah, but there yeah, will but, be one. Yeah, they just said in a season 11, he'll take over. No. But it wouldn't surprise me if they did push it back. That way, as a new showrunner, he would have plenty of time to get things done and get things organized and get things ready. Well, I think it, I think it's good from that that, that yeah, if, if situation. They yeah. Fall, yeah. Well, even now, knowing that he's going to be the showrunner, I have a feeling – I mean, they're not going to wait to film Series 10 next year in 2017. They're going to be working on it this oh, year. Yeah. So Chimbo will have – all of that time that leading up to, if, even if they did seventeen in the summer for Moffat for season ten, and then in the fall they did uh, series in that same year they did series eleven. Chimbal oh, yeah. does all the time from this point on. Yeah. I mean, he's got a he's wrapping things up. I think probably on Broadchurch, which he yeah. is the uh, so season for. three airs next this year. Yeah. So I mean, he's wrapping things up there. And if he, I don't know, I didn't, I didn't get the impression is he are they finished I haven't, I haven't or is it. he going to helm both shows? I, don't, I haven't heard. So there's that. It depends on. I guess it depends on if there's more Broadchurch story to be told. Right. Um, then the other thing that uh, you have to look at is, yeah, we're getting Christmas. Yay. I don't want to say that I suffer from new series fatigue, but if it's if 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 a year off means we've done it before, guys. We've oh, been yeah. we've 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 gone long periods without Doctor Who. But if that means a Some of really, us have gone longer really <laughs> good series ten, I mean, look at look, look how good at series nine. Yeah, was. If they could take that time and elevate it yeah, even higher. Just, I, I mean, so I, you know, I, I can't say that I'm. Uh, yeah, I'm sad that we don't get any this year. But on the flip side of that, <laughs> I, I think maybe I've just come to terms with the fact that. This happens. Um, BBC does what BBC does. Yeah, that's how we should know. We should know that Chimbo's not. I mean, he's familiar with Doctor Who. Oh, he yeah, actually he, he wrote Forty Two, well, The Hungry Earth, three. and Cold Blood, Dinosaurs in the Spaceship, and The Power of Three. So those are the particular stories. And mostly good ones, and yeah. a lot of Torchwood. Yeah. Tor- Torch yeah, he, wrote, he has written a lot of Torchwood. Well, and the fact that he has and some not so good ones there. But. <laughs> Uh, Power of Three uh, was good. To no, look. on the on the Torchwood end. Oh, yeah, Torchwood. I was gonna say yeah. all the Chimbal ones I liked. Hungry Earth and Cold Blood is probably my least favorite of that batch. But I don't remember the specific Torchwood episodes other than Cyber Woman. I think he did the majority of season one. 
I don't know. I'd have to, I don't have it in front of me. I should have, but I didn't pull it up. No, I, I and who, who called it? This guy right here. I said that he's the logical success. And I, I love, I don't know if you guys saw, there were so many of these who might be taking over who posts that <laughs> showed up just out of the woodwork the last two weeks. Here's who we think would be good. And they had people that were like, have you ever watched the show? Because this person's not affiliated with it in any way, shape, or form. But they think this... Um, and, and no offense to Rachel. Rachel Talley was, was listed as a potential showrunner. It's like, mm, director. No. That's not, <laughs> that's not how that works. You yeah. know? I mean, she's a very talented if director. She she's a phenomenal director. If directed, it'd be different. That would be different if she'd had some sort of, of writing credit. Somebody that had only written one episode before was listed on one of these lists. And I'm like, no. <laughs> I, I think he's a really good. I think he's a good choice. I think despite, he's a great despite choice. Despite what you feel about his episodes previously, I mean, pretty much. I think. Well, Broadchurch has seen yeah, huge success, I think that's and it's helmed a by huge uh, why. acting wise. It's helmed by uh, David Tennant. So yeah. I, I think his success with Broadchurch is part of what tipped them to it. But if you just looking at his who uh, Chibnall's who history, I mean. Looking at Moffitt's before he took over as showrunner, most of fandom considers all of those higher echelon. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And there's no way you could follow up that kind of higher echelon writing. I don't think there's other stories li- people point out to as best of that are as consistent as Moffat was. So anybody they chose, there was going to be episodes that they did that you probably would not like as much. And there are, I'm sure there are people who did not like some of Moffat's early work. If I had to rank uh, New Who on its own, and I wouldn't, but I think uh, 42 would be in my top 10. It's been a while since I've seen that one. I need to go back and revisit that one. I I think I agree with that. What's great is he shows range in, in in his stories that he's done. He's shown a great amount of range. From dinosaurs on a spaceship to the fun of that, and then the serious turn well, at the end. Power of three, power too, three is phenomenal. Is a lot of fun, and then well, that's for a different reason. Yeah, <laughs> and then the seriousness of Hungry Earth, Cold Blood, and Forty Two. It just there's so much well balanced there that I think he'll do a really good job. Did he get a? a did he do a Nicholson episode? He didn't, did he? It was no. Forty Two was the forty Two was the first one he did, which was season two, right? Season three. Oh, that's right. And, and now Martha. The, yeah, that's right. Now the downside is we don't know if he's going to get a Capaldi episode because there's no news yeah. on that Yeah. Do you, what do you guys think? Is he going to stick around? Oh, who bridge, knows? Bridge the I gap? Mean, or do you think they're going to try to do a hard You can speculate like way too much that. because, yeah. number one, uh, Capaldi's dropped hints within the last you know month. And number two, it makes sense for a new showrunner to bring on a new doctor. But – who knows? Yeah, I mean, it's it's hard telling. And there's there's talk of uh, season ten not involving an actual like long term companion, so oh, that, that would be you can start fresh with a companion in in uh, series eleven as well. So that would be good. I would be okay with that. I would be okay. I, I know that they have also said that uh, uh, series ten is going to move, not necessarily away from, but they're going to do something different than the format. There won't be the, the two part cliffhanger style. Um, episodes in series 10 that they're going to do a lot more of the standalone kind of things. And so it'll be like an extended specials year. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so if they did that and had a different companion in each one of them, I think that would be kind of cool that we could, you know, really get a good, it will, will be a lot like the specials year. <laughs> get a good range. Yeah, that way. They do that. It'd be really interesting if they did a whole series of 
one-offs with different companions, and one of those people was going to become the new companion, but you didn't know who it was going to be until you got to the end of the season. That would be a lot of fun, but that's just me talking. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm trepidatious, but I'm also uh, excited about Fresh Blood. I think it's, it's needed. So, In the same boat. I, I'm, I'm yeah. sorry to see Moffat go, but Doctor Who is... We knew, is and we knew it was eventual. I mean, it was going to happen at some point or another. I'll be sad to see Capaldi leave. But it's it's going to happen, so you know that's just that's just the nature of the show. So I, for one, welcome Chris aboard and uh, look forward to him. And I will be rooting along with uh, uh, the rest of you for whatever Moffat has in store for us for next season. And I will be sadly counting down the days until it comes back. But <laughs> I know I'm going to be bumping Broadchurch up on my two watch list to kind of get a taste of him as a showrunner. Well, the first season I heard was just incredible television. Yeah, so and the second two it series. It was on my list to watch when you or the second, The next series was uh, highly highly rated, but they said it wasn't as good as Even before the it was Grace Point? The first series. <laughs> Grace Point was not uh, highly rated. <laughs> no, <it> <laughs> he, he's like an EP on that, or was. Yeah. Anybody watch The X-Files? No, I knew it was it on got delayed because of the it, game. Well, the right game now. was on tonight, so in fact, it might still be on now. Uh, the X-Files might still be on. But, uh, yeah, Holly and I were going to watch it, and then we decided, well, we'd just watch it on Hulu when it drops. So, Just curious. Next episode's tomorrow. Is it really? Yeah. yeah. They're doing one of those weird things, and then it's going to be on Mondays. Tomorrow it falls the Grammys? Or the no, it's Emmys no. or the some awards show? No. no. Oh no, the no, awards show is next week. It's, That's, uh, yeah, it's next for us. Next Sunday. Never mind. X Files and then Lucifer. That's right. I'm kind of excited for Lucifer. It's gotten really good reviews. One of the best cop shows they've seen in a while, from what I've heard. All right, well, let's move on to feedback. Our bit of feedback comes from Chris about said news. He says, I think this is the most depressing thing I've heard in a while. No, not the fact that Moffat Moffat is leaving. We all know that was coming at some point soon. It was just a matter of when. The part of this story I found depressing was the news that, other than the Christmas special, there will be no Doctor Who in 2016, with a whole lot of explanation points. What the bleep? What is it with British television? Most British shows have such short season, uh, sh- such short 3 to 13 episodes seasons to begin with and then as if to add insult to injury you have shows that take one or two or three year hiatus between seasons it's just plain ridiculous sherlock is a prime example of this you get three episode season followed by a two year hiatus then a new year's day special followed by another whole year before we get the next three episode season as far as i'm concerned that can barely even count as a mini series if an American show tried that, not would uh, tried that, not would not only it lose all of but its most devoted fans, it would be cancelled long before its return and would never get a chance at another season. And I think rightfully so. Maybe it's just my age. When I was a kid thirty plus years ago, most television shows had between twenty six and thirty two episodes per season. That's a six to six and a half to eight month long season. Is it any wonder now I feel? Is it any wonder I now feel cheated by thirteen episodes or less seasons? And then to have a have to wait a year or more between seasons is completely intolerable. I'm sorry, BBC, but this really sucks. 
Chris. I think the key points in there are... Your passion's running on the surface. <laughs> I think the key points in there are British television versus tele- American television. Yeah. The thing is, we as Americans are used to the format of British TV, <coughs> or of American TV. And so we, we already have preconceived notions of how television works here. So when BBC or British programming gets very popular in the U.S. and it has its own style of formatting, then it's so obscure and abnormal to us that we, we can't wrap our brains around it, so it frustrates us. But if we lived in the U.K., we would live with the – I mean, for crying out loud over there, some seasons get 10 episodes, or they call them series, get 10 episodes. Some get six, some get eight. Some get, it just really depends on – yeah. some come in – Torchwood you know, Children of Earth got five, three. Some will five. come – Five. Sorry. Some will come in the you know fall, and then the next year it'll come in the spring, and then the next year it'll come in the summer. Um, it, it all comes down to the whole government-run television and that format and that structure. And ultimately, I actually find myself enjoying British television more because of the short seasons. Me because too. number one, what happens is they're able to focus on really good storytelling. Yeah, how and many so, of those uh, 26 to 32 episodes of the American season were really good? Well, that's just it. We're on a roller coaster over here because you'll wa- you'll have to watch two or three kind of you know mediocre to lame episodes before the, you get a really good story. Episodes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And they become filler episodes, as we've come to call them. And then so, but with British television, you know, you get you know six to ten really good solid stories, and it's great storytelling. And yeah, if I have to wait just a little bit longer to get really, really good television, I'm fine with that. It's because there's a whole backlog of really great British television that you can do to fill the gaps <laughs> in with. So. Well, and I think that that's definitely something you're seeing a lot of industry changes kind of yeah, moving really to that model that. in America. When you look at things like Game of Thrones on HBO or even The Walking Dead, shows that don't necessarily... Or Agent Carter or X-Files, who's only getting six episodes. Right. Pay television was the first to really yeah. embrace the British format and do series in short spurts and do really good solid television. And yeah, you're right. The American networks have kind of fallen. They're starting to... And um, I know anime series in Japan kind of have the same thing because it's based on manga. They'll come out and do, uh, you know, a season one. And however many episodes it may be is going to be based on, you know, how far in the books there are at the moment. So they'll commission, you know, that first season. And then it might be two, three, four, five years before a season two comes along because they have to wait for the manga to get far enough out that they can start producing more episodes to catch back up to them again. (laughs) That's part of the problem with uh, Outlaw Star was... They were getting ahead of their uh, the manga, but instead of putting it on hold and waiting, they wrote their own filler episodes, and they were some of the worst episodes of the season. Yeah. And then you've got the other thing, which is when they decide that they're just going to go ahead and write their own story and finish it off, and then five, six, seven years down the road, they relaunch it, and you reboot the show with basically the same first season, maybe some different voice actors, <laughs> But then the second season comes out, and it's much more in line with well, where the comics are at because, well, that's where they're at at this point. So it's, it's just kind of an up-in-the-air thing. And I uh, think the, the other thing that I see in British television, at least in a handful of shows, is they'll reinvent the cast. They'll completely bring a new cast of, of characters oh, yeah. in and very have very few holdovers. And I really appreciate that because you have some really good stories with one group of people. Skins is one good example of that. You have these really good characters 
but you don't get tired of them because then we move on to a next set of characters. It's and then we move on to the next set. Yeah, exactly. And so I really kind of appreciate that aspect of it as well because you, it doesn't get dry and, and drawn out because when you're exploring a character and you've got a real popular television series that you're trying to spread out over eight or nine seasons in the U.S., a lot of times I'm tired of a character, especially if they haven't grown that much. So Yeah. I think that's why you see shows like um – American Horror Story doing so well because yeah, of that anthology nature it's, and, and changing the same actors, it up. but they're just changing the characters. Yeah, or and bringing in fresh blood. So I, I feel for you, Chris. I do, but at the same time, it's like, eh, we'll we'll, we'll weather the storm. You know, that's what Who fans do, man. We've done oh, it yeah. before. We've done it. Many times. We we had the wilderness years when we thought it was dead. And I know all the new Who fans are like, oh, we're so sick of hearing you talk about the wilderness years. <laughs> like that was a thing. I was like, well, it was a thing. We thought it was dead. Plus, you've got Big Finish, you've got comics, you've got Lethbridge-Stewart novels. Yeah, there's, there's plenty all of stuff kinds to, of stuff out there. To fill the void. And any classic Who you have not seen yet. There's always that you can go dip your toe into. If you haven't been a, a big classic watcher, maybe you can go start finding more copies of those and giving those a shot. Or at, uh, what are we, 13 episodes a season for New Who? We've got rewatch them all. Nine, nine seasons. Hey, do the math. That's that's one a week. You can keep yourself busy <laughs> until the show comes back on. All right. Well, should we move on to our reviews? Oh, uh, if you do want to contact us, uh, keep in mind that you can send feedback to feedback at travelingthevortex.com. You can find a new form on our website. So if you prefer to go to our website, go to uh, contact us uh, tab at the top of the screen. Click on it, and there is a form box that you can fill out. And we have basically done away with our old form box, what the, we think maybe was stymieing us and have given us issues. We have a new form box on there. It shouldn't look much different to you. I know the, the interface looks different, but it pretty much works the same way. Uh, fill that out and send it to us if you prefer to do it that way. You can also contact on the various forms of social media, which are Facebook, uh, which is just www.facebook.com slash Traveling the Vortex. You can also contact us on Twitter at Travel the Vortex or each of our individual Twitter. Um, and then after you see, you can find us on uh, Tumblr and Google Plus and Goodreads. We have the, new, the Traveling poll for Vortex. the new book is up. Yep, Traveling Vortex uh, book club. So go vote in the poll. I think it's actually a send feedback tab, not a contact us. Send feedback, yes. Thank you for checking. So you, you think that was the, the, the deal, huh? I don't know if it's fixed. So <laughs> We're getting the feedback. The important so thing it's, is it's, all that it's fixed. Sweet. And uh, before we move on to our reviews, make sure you stick around after the reviews for an interview with Andy Frankamallon. Yeah. We got a chance to sit down with Andy this afternoon and talk to him about the Lethbridge Stewart and the two stories that he's written within it. Yeah. And, and some exciting news. If you haven't seen it, he talks about uh, some new things coming up. Uh, if you haven't seen the news of uh, so if you, if reading's not your thing, but you want to listen or take in these stories, you can soon listen to them. So we'll have details on that later. He'll talk more about that in the interview. All right. I think it's safe to call him friend of the show, Andy Frank. Yeah. Speaking of Lethbridge Stewart, this week's review involve Lethbridge Stewart. I don't have a synopsis for the Cult of the Grinning Man. That's okay. So. Let's just launch right into it. What do you guys? What do you guys think? I ain't. Quite enjoyed it. Yeah. It's um, it's different. It's different in the fact that we're set up to suspect that there is, and, and, and Lethbridge Stewart is set up to suspect that there is something 
possibly alien or supernatural going on. And as he pursues his leads, and we get the sto- another story going alongside that of a B-plot of a young man and a woman, and the woman is abducted by this group of people that uh, are worshipping what they call the Grinning Man. And so we get these two kind of going in tandem, and as they go along, and Lethbridge Stewart is investigating this situation, um, he's gotten the blessing from Hamilton to go on and, and see if this is indeed something uh, that needs to be investigated that could be outside the realms of normal military. It's <laughs> <laughs> uh, their purview. And, yeah, exactly, purview. And so he goes and he explores it, and... I. I mean, the spoiler here: we're, we're, he gets there and finds out that it's really less of what he thinks it is, and it's, more of just a cult. It's literally more of a Scooby Doo sort of yeah, situation yeah, sort than of, anything yeah. else that we've gotten in the run. And I really like that aspect. I of did it. too. I like that it was a dead end for his uh, alien investigations. What it does because you were hinted to that throughout the books that he's kind of hit roadblocks and dead ends. What it does is it really gives you that story of not everything is. Alien. Yeah. Not everything is supernatural. There are times where we go down a road to explore something, and it's just run of the mill. And I really appreciated being able to get to the context of that story. And in, a, and in a short time where you don't feel like if – if that were done in a full novel, you'd almost feel cheated that there wasn't – Yeah, I, I thought it, I thought of that, setup. but I, I thought the exact same thing as I read it or after I finished it. And then I thought, you know, but it might be interesting to do that would, in long would, form if you could tell a if, really, if, really if, good if the story. the story's really good, yeah. Uh, unfortunately, doing that now in a short story tips their hand in the sense that now I expect maybe there might be a long story that eventually <laughs> does that. So I may be looking for it. Although maybe that's a good thing because then I'm suspecting that maybe they'll run into a dead end this time and they don't. So it's maybe they've <laughs> thrown me off the scent that way. I don't know. I was, I was torn, honestly, when I got to that point because I, I was going along and I was enjoying it and the, the sci-fi fan in me was going, what is the thing? What is the, the thing? And the alien, is it a this? Is it a that? You know, is it a monster? What's on the... And then it's it's a, it's a guy in a rubber mask. <laughs> <laughs> my, my first instinct was, oh, man. <laughs> I mean, I just sucked all the wind out of my sails for it. But then I thought about it. And I agree with you. I, I was like, no, this has to happen. And it makes sense that he's going to run into these dead ends and, and hit these snags and the other things. But I kind of felt bad for Lethbridge Stewart that... Oh yeah, because it, it feels like as you, when you read the longer novels that they're constantly referring to the fact that oh well yeah that didn't turn out to be anything oh that didn't turn into anything that was not a, a thing and it just kind of it, it almost feels like he's had failure piled on top of failure piled on top of failure in some of these and even the ones that have been something when you look at um, not enough forgotten son yeah. when you when you look at um, Oh, uh, the next Schizoid one. Schizoid Earth. I don't know why I can't remember that title. <laughs> um, and, and even going into Beast of Fang Rock, that we're, we're there. They've given us all this. Here it is. Here's concrete. Yes, alien involvement, supernatural involvement, parallel world involvement. Boom. And yet, nothing sticks around at the end of the episode for him to be able to go. See, we need. <laughs> we need this. Now they're slowly compiling it, and we're getting there. there. We're, you're building to it. Yeah. So I, 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 I do like it. Like I said, my, my first thought was, oh, man, I don't know. And then, no, I'm okay with that. So <laughs> It kind of did a 180. It also really felt, I don't know why, but tonally, and maybe just the way it was structured, felt a lot like mutually assured domination. Did anybody else have that? 
where it's kind of it's kind of the same trappings, kind of the same skeleton. Kind of remote location, I can see that and, now and, that you and, see it. and it's the Lethbridge need or Lethbridge getting permission and then driving to wherever it is to investigate. I can see that, and then yeah. it's just it's just wrapped up quicker without it's 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 stripped down without the churly stuff in it. Yeah, yeah, which made it uh, nicely familiar in a backward sense since. Technically, I should have read this before. <laughs> Mutually assured domination, but it, we're it, getting there, though. We're getting yeah. caught up yeah. with the short stories <laughs> so that we can actually do them in between. It, it was just an, I, I, I like to think part of that is uh, a bit of continuity cohesion for um, just the line in general. I, I have one small complaint. I really, really got excited when they actually put Lethbridge Stewart in an Aston Martin. Well, oh. <laughs> because we've we've kind of made the the, the, the comparisons before the the, the the Pertwee years dealing with unit in a way the show became very James Bond. That that you know we, we we've got those kinds of stories going on, and so putting him in that car. And having him drive up, I was just like, ooh, he's a secret agent. He's doing his thing. And this is going to be. <laughs> and then we didn't really get more of a Bond joke than that. And I kind of, I don't know why. I just expected a little bit more of a, a play on it. Minor complaint. Not a big deal at all. But I just, <laughs> they, they, they swung for the fences with that joke. And I was like, yes! And that was all I got. All right. Well, let's move on to our spoiler-filled review of The Beast of Fang Rock. There's always death on the rock when the beast's about. Students have gathered on Fang Rock to celebrate the ongoing opening of the most haunted lighthouse of the British Isles. But they get more than they bargain for when the ghosts of long dead men return, accompanied by a falling star. Anne Travers is called to her family solicitors, who have in their possession a letter from Archibald Goff, a paranormal investigator who once visited Fang Rock in the 1820s and along with a piece of alien technology. What connects a shooting star in 1969, mysterious deaths in 1902, and the beasts that roamed Fang Rock in 1823? Lethbridge Stewart and Ann Travers are about to discover the answer firsthand. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> I think we did that before. <laughs> We're about to gush all over this book again. <laughs> <laughs> I think I read the synopsis before, too. <laughs> um, wow. I mean, <laughs> it's hard to go back and review this one again because I know that I'm going to restate a lot of the things that I said in our previous review. Well, now we can go into a bit more detail. And we can. The thing is, it is, it's so it's so well put together. And it, I think we all are fans of Horror Fang Rock. Some of us a little more, Sean, than others. But... Uh, <laughs> uh, What's not to like about Horror Fang Rock? I, I, again, I, I feel like I'm going to restate a lot of things here, but I love the idea that this really is uh, Ann Travers' story, and it really focuses on her family and their her roots and ancestry and where they come from. And it really feels like we've he, Andy fleshes that out as, he, as he's writing this story to kind of give us a lot of backstory on Ann without dragging us down into a 
uh, genealogy lesson. Yeah. It's it's so well done that she's connected through the events that happen in the story to learning more about these ancestors that she's connected to in this in this book and this in in this lighthouse. Um, it's it's great stuff. <laughs> it really is, and I. Jumping forward into the book, I, I really like how, I think I talked about it last time, how we had all three different time zones going on at the same time and how they all paralleled and intertwined so perfectly to explain some things that happened in actual horror of Fang Rock and in addition to fleshing out that the beast story and just the way he was able to work it all just gelled so perfectly. I think the vehicle to get them there to the different eras and to get us as a, as a reader into the different eras was 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 uh, well imagined using the whole astral plane idea, yeah. um, time travel through the astral plane in order to visit these sites, but don't you don't necessarily occupy the same realm um, physically, and so you get to be an observer in this way. And I thought that was really cool. And there's a, a there's kind of some uh, oh, foundation in some Egyptology or Egypt. Uh, I, it's like it's not even Egyptology. It's, it's a study of Egypt uh, with a focus on the esoteric or the the mysticism of it. And there is in that uh, branch of the study of Egypt and the gods and stuff like that. Some people that this is a common form of travel that oh, yeah. uh, you're able to travel through the astral plane in a ter- in a pyramid and you could technically go back through time and see the gods of old and things like this. So I like how it has it's grounded in some uh, cult ideas now and the idea that we can go back and be observers in order to find an actual vehicle that Anne uses to, to physically. finally physically transport herself back to this time was was very cleverly done because how do you, I mean, relaying the idea of where this device was in order to transport it, they had to go back and see where it was hidden yeah. so that later they could uncover it so that and then could tr- physically travel back to that, to the times that uh, uh, was even further back, I guess, than when he had buried it <coughs> or hidden it in the, I assume that was a lavatory, right? Yeah, I think it was, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Behind the generator. Sean's at a loss of words. <laughs> he doesn't just, know how to describe the awesomeness. It's, it's just so good. <laughs> um, we, we, we talked a little bit about the, the, the danger you run into doing a sequel to a beloved episode or a prequel, I guess. And it's, a bo- it's, it's both. both. It's both. It's both. A, a, a pre-sequel. <laughs> a C-prequel. Oh, only in Doctor Who can you do a prequel <laughs> and a sequel in the same book. Because <laughs> um, and, and Andy jokes that, you know, well, this no pressure because yeah, if you get it wrong, you get it wrong. Um, but he doesn't. And that, that's the beauty of it is, uh, and maybe part of it is because horror Fang rock is such a well-constructed episode. I mean, from top to bottom, everything about it, I think works. I think that's why fandom responds to it the way that they, they, they do. Cause there's, I, yeah, you could nitpick, but you really, there's not much to nitpick on it. Um, what he has succeeded in doing with Beast is taking the trappings of, of horror of Fang Rock 
and expanding on them and making them a little bit bigger and a little bit better and filling us in with, you know, some of the broad strokes and then really getting in and doing the fine detail work with the new cast of characters that we're putting into these situations and putting them through their paces on the island. And that just, it, it all works with it. I was a little concerned with the timey-wimey nature of the plot when we got into it and we had stuff happening in the past and in the present and in the three different time zones all at the same time. The past, the past, and the present. Correct. <laughs> um, and, and I'll be honest, my, my first thought was, oh, no, not again, because it, it gave me just a little bit of a vibe of Schizoid Earth, that we were having that kind of jump around confusionness. But very quickly, it became apparent, no, not the same, much, much better done <laughs> with, with, with the way it's handled, but, but just the, well, the, the it, clarity it, it of the pieces. That- yeah, the clarity, and you're clued into it more of what's happening as opposed to Schizoid Earth, which kind of kept you in the dark of what they were doing. With right, it. admittedly on purpose, but yes. but just the, 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 it was a little more straightforwardly laid out, even though we were jumping around within the time stream and, and the time periods, that it was still a progression from A to B, and then you jumped from F to G, and then you went back and filled in C to D. It still worked within the within the confines of that. Um Everything as as we went, just 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 laid out there, and was it was so good. The next bit of uh, I'm not sure about was the werewolf. Yeah, There's, we have a werewolf showing up, and, and uh, okay, I mean, because it's it seemed like that one extra element that maybe is just a little too much because we've already got the time travel, we've got the astral projection, we've got a, a, a Ruton. You know, we, we've got a lot of stuff going on here on the island. Cool. And, the, and I also like the fact that the Rutan wasn't necessarily a bad guy. Yeah. In, in, in this, at least in Anne's time and it was pretty much when Anne travels back, the Rutan there is not the bad guy. Where in Fang Rock, he is very much the bad guy and, and it, just wanting to get back to his fleet. It would have been very, very simple to fall into that trap and write another Rutan stranded here. Doing the same kinds of things oh, and yeah, creating yeah. the same kinds of problems without adding more depth to the and, and just just being a monster to kill, and that was probably what I enjoyed most about the book was the twist that when we get to the Ruton, he's not what you think he is, yeah. and and that you get that that lovely surprise that no he's, he's I mean he is still trying to get out but not to the extent that you know the other Ruton would have blown up the planet if it meant leaving. No, we're not going to go to that extent. <laughs> Which, although it was a fragment of himself, right? Am I remembering that yeah. correctly? So yes, it's still, yeah, it's still yeah. a him. It's just not him. But that whole part was a bit fuzzy for me. But I was able to roll with it and be like, okay. Well, I don't know enough about Rutan physiology to understand how that works. All right. Visiting back the werewolf aspect of this is what I, I really liked about this is Horrifying rock, rock sort of establishes, at least in our mind, that this beast that I think tries to hint to the idea of a werewolf in its lore turns out to be, based on the circumstances, they believe it's this mythical beast that was that that haunts Fang Rock. It turns out to be a Rutan in this instance, and it kind of justifies or explains the situation in, in, in this 
in this story. Yeah. In this situation, it explains what's going on, and it kind of then throws away the idea that, well, it uh, was mistaken because it was that was that was the lore, and it was mistaken for that. So it's really not, you know, that we have no proof that there was actually a, a werewolf. It was Rutan that they were mistaking as the beast. To go back into this story and actually justify <laughs> no, the legend of the beast on, yeah. that this is the story that the, yeah that the the the, uh, the uh, mythology or the the lore the legend that that is surrounding uh, Fang Rock actually did exist and it happens to be because of this guy's uh, what is it called lycanthropy yeah and so it, it we get this interesting little twist. But then you're going, okay, wait a minute. We got werewolves. We got lycanthropy. What's going on here? And it's not until we turn around and realize that the cause and effect of the lycanthropy <laughs> is based on the roots on it. <laughs> it's based on the crash. Now, you get the impression that it's it it's a recessive gene yes. that is well, it's activated. The- so it still is within the gene – or not the genealogy, the uh, geology – not the geology. What am I looking for? The genes of – Evolution, genetics, genetics, thank you, of evolution. And it's basically sparked by the fact that the Rutan crashes here. So that's what kind of unlocks this gene. So it does still exist. But I like in turn that it's the Rutan that still is the cause of unlocking this gene so that this guy wolves out. (laughs) Well, I even took it a little step further and that it's the same thing that Tooth and Claw that brought it out. In. Yeah, yeah. So I, I kind of linked the two together that way too. I, I, I thought that was where he was going with it. And you know, maybe this guy is a descendant of uh, someone in the royal family. Yeah, yeah. Why possible. not? <laughs> I'm, I'm looking. I'm trying to pull up what year Tooth and Claw took place in. But uh, well, certainly before there were lighthouses. <laughs> was Victorian because 1879. Was, wasn't it Victoria? Elizabeth. No? No, it wasn't Elizabeth. It was Victoria. Was it Victoria? Victoria? Okay. I'm showing my knowledge of... (laughs) (laughs) It was Victorian England. Um, But yeah, that that was the the, the best part of it, is for for my initial... What? Why do we need a... Or why do we need a werewolf on the... We've already got a beast. Then to get into it and go, Oh, ho, I see what you've done here, is you led me to believe the Rutan was the beast. beast. And it's not... And I, I was I was I was very pleasantly surprised to have the wool pulled over my eyes in that regard that I didn't see that coming. And well, could you go into this story going, "Well, I know what the beast is." Yeah, as you say, <laughs> yeah. we're, we're kind of predisposed to yeah. that through through horror. Um, and then when you when you get into that, wait, there actually is a beast. <laughs> you, you, what? So then you get through the, the the end, and unlike some stories where it's just, well, we threw that in there just for the sake of throwing that in there. It's like, no, it's it's not you, – you didn't throw the werewolf parts in just to throw me off the scent of the beast. It, it had – You gave me a legitimate reason. There was all legitimate yeah. reason. Everything fit together. All the puzzle pieces came and made a, a, a beautiful picture there, and it worked so well, which is the – you know. I think it's so nice to be able to talk more about the beast <laughs> now because I think that's what we were yeah, stymied we with to, last time. Yeah. We, were try- we did mention it, but we were kind of having to talk around it so we didn't spoil it much, spoil it much but now we're – I kind of knew that going into this. This is where I'm going to focus. I'm going to talk, <laughs> I'm going to talk about the werewolf. You guys can talk about the lighthouse and the island and all that. All you want. I'm going to talk about the werewolf because that was the part that. Um, so yeah, that was it. Was it was so nice to get to that? And like I said, everything came together. It it all just worked. 
and it worked within the confines of not just being a great monster story, not just being a, as I pointed out, a kind of a Scooby-Doo-esque story that it felt like a Scooby-Doo story, even though we had a real monster, but also within the confines of Anne's arc and making yeah. that tie in with her family and, and, and bringing out all that full circle um, and, hint- and pulling from her past and hinting towards her future. Right. With, with kind of the stuff with, was it Jim? That Bishop. Bi- what? Oh, Jim. Uh, uh, I'm trying to pull up his name. The the one that where they're kind of uh, well, yeah, Bishop. Yeah, where, yeah. where, where okay, that's what the, I, the, the romance uh, right. okay. hints there. Yeah. Well, establishing a relationship between the two, I kind of like that, yeah. and 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 not going as far as making them a couple, but showing this blossoming something happening yeah. here. Yeah, I, yeah. the one that didn't make it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, one of the ones that didn't make it. Um, but but getting all that, and then still getting something for for Lethbridge Stewart to do that he still had his you know need and reason to be there, and I, I really enjoyed the fact that we've squarely got him placed within the, the the confines and trappings of a Doctor Who story that he's not in, and he's there and he's experiencing the other end of it without getting enough experience. To know what's going on yeah, that yeah. would have created a a, a a problematic spoiler for how things wind up turning out. Right. Uh, that that was just handled with 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 kick gloves and and just really really well done. I also really like that he gave us the confirmation that what we all assumed in Web of Fear and then later in the Brig Time was that he was just kind of going along with the Doctor. During the London event, yeah, because yeah. about the time travel, he, he really still believe, doesn't believe in he, time he travel. He doesn't believe right. he was just going along because he needed to. It right, was, it, it helped speed things up. Situation so dictated. Yeah, I, I really like that he nailed that down and said, "Yes, yeah. that is not just fan theory; it is fact." I did like yeah. that. Um, I think the other thing that was neat about this is that when we watch Horror Fang Rock, you feel like the Rutans just kind of the the forward scout. We got the the. That the evasion is down the road, but this is the guy that's here to kind of prepare things. And he has crashed, and he's, you know, obviously uh, stuck. What I like about Beast is we then in turn get the greater threat, which is the mothership. (laughs) We get the near invasion of the Rutons on Earth. And so it takes the intense villain or bad guy or monster in horror, and it elevates it. While mm-hmm. taking the monster in horror of Spang Rock and kind of relegating to not such a bad guy, more of a good guy because he is basically sparsed out across these three different time periods. So I, th- I like how you up the ante because, yeah, we still have this major threat. The beast wasn't as bad as – or the, the Rutan wasn't necessarily evil, but the rest of them are. Exactly. So, and they're coming. Exactly. And yeah. they, are, they are coming. And uh, – so that does that. It elevates that aspect of it as well. And I thought that was really played well. Go ahead. Ask me a question. I'll, 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 I'll tell you awesome things about this book. <laughs> <laughs> I will go all night telling you I'll, awesome I'll, I'll things about this book. I the other things that I wanted to touch on. I think that was most. Well, uh, I like the end. Where we get the reveal that the uh, the ancient uh, what was his name the solicitor the old guy 
who kind of set Anne on this path. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The guy that in the vault at the in beginning. In the vault at yeah. the beginning. Well, not in the vault, but in, well, it was a bank yeah. vault, not the actual, the, not the, the vault. Solicitor. The solicitor. The, the oh, one, oh the yeah, who, yeah, I forgot about that. You're right. And then he makes contact at the end as well. Yeah, yeah, I do. Yeah. The, the, the fact that he winds up being the Rutan. Yeah. That he's still yeah, around yes, and still was... there and still in human form and kind of gotten to that point where it's like, I'm going to have to choose a new body here before too much longer right. but that he's still masquerading as there and that he's the one that set Anne on the path and you want to talk about a <laughs> what a, a, a timey wimey idea you want to talk about a self-fulfilling <laughs> prophecy that not only is Anne Travers mixed up with bootstrap you know oh yeah yeah <laughs> be, becoming involved in her own legacy but the catalyst for that is the creature that was needed her to, there to go help, you know. <laughs> so you you basically had two, go, yeah, you know, yeah. Mobius strip kind of a, a bootstrap going right, on. Right. Yeah, genius, so well, good. I think the other thing too that that I like is the the conflict between the brigadier and and Travers, and that we almost go from a trust that we got in Schizoid Earth. To a not quite sure whether we can trust her because we still have this thing going on with the vault, with the research that she's the doing vault. there. Yeah. We don't trust the overseers, the government overseers of the vault yet. And I think that that's going to play into down the line when UNIT finally gets established or at least the lead up to it, whatever they, they choose to do. And I think that that's, that's going to be able to play off this. The You've got the kind of a, a inter-adversary uh, a clash going on between two military and scientific. And I think that I like that this one kind of sets up those pieces for something that we'll obviously be uh, revisiting again yeah. down the line. So, Anything else on this? Go read it if you haven't read oh, it yet. Yeah. It's so good. Yeah, if you didn't get enough from, you know, the first review we did. One of my favorite, <laughs> favorite parts of this book is way at the end where, um, Andy and the thank yous, thanks. Uh, <laughs> at the very, very <laughs> He thanks Glenn, Keith, and Sean at Traveling the Vortex. So. <laughs> just, just, just a second, Bush. i got to read my name in print. <laughs> Sean's been in t- print twice now in the recent. Yeah. Something else that happened to me. Oh, yeah. yeah. She explained that real quick since I brought it up. Oh, I um, uh, several... Months back, I, I, I wrote into uh, G.I. Joe Comics at over at IDW and, and told them how much I was enjoying things, and they actually published my letter. Um, apparently, several months back, I'm behind again. So <laughs> I, 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 I kind of go these machine gun bursts of reading and catching up on my comics. So. So a little segue there, but I'll allow it. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, so I got published twice. In other people's stuff. Your name got published. You didn't. No, I didn't get published. Well, something I wrote got <laughs> published. Well, I, I didn't write. I didn't publish true. anything in this that's one. That's true. Yet. <laughs> <laughs> Andy might be looking for writers in a few years. I'm going to strong arm him into that. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of Andy, uh, yeah. as Keith alluded to earlier and we teased ahead, we did get a chance to sit down with uh, the author and. Uh, Andy Franco Allen, and I, let's go ahead and uh, take a listen to that interview right now. Well, joining us now is author and deputy editor at Candy Jar Books, uh, Andy Franco Allen. Thanks for joining us, Andy. You're welcome. That was fun. And I got that right, right? You're deputy editor at Candy Jar Books. I am indeed. Excellent. I want to make sure I got that correct. You well, did. First of all, I think that. Well, you know, my first question is, what's the weather like over there? Because it's really cold here. 
It's been pretty pricey. It's been yeah. It's although I'm in t-shirt, so don't you know I'm a t-shirt. But no, outside it's it's wet. It's windy. It's it's not nice. It's it's British weather. British weather. So typically, yeah, I'm sure you've heard. Of it, right? We've heard of it. That's what it's like. Huh? Yeah, it's actually real. <laughs> Well, so, let's get started. First we, thing I we, want to we get an author is, on the program, and you're going to ask him a weather question. That's <laughs> <laughs> the icebreaker question. So you got to get you got to get a guess about gutters. Okay. <laughs> He's just being British because the British people all they do is talk about the weather, so it's okay. <laughs> just blend it in. <laughs> well, the first real question I got for yeah. you is: I want to know how you got started in writing. Oh, I got started. Good grief! Long story short, um, basically. I have been writing since I was proper knee-high, as they say. Um, I remember writing Doctor Who-type stories when I was a kid. Like, I remember having this little tiny green book I used to write stupid stories in. Professionally, um, my first professional gig was in 2004, and that was in one of the Big Finish Short Trip stories. Um, and that was Gary Russell got me that job. He had heard from various people that I wanted to write, so he, he keep me on an email saying, you know, submit ideas, we're doing this anthology, blah, 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 so I submitted 10, just in case, you know. <laughs> and he's like, oh, I like all 10, but obviously I can't commission all 10. It's like, bugger. Um, and it just started there, and it's not really stopped since. So it began with who, which figures, you know. <laughs> So you're a Doctor Who fan, obviously. No. How did you When did you get started on that after you become such a fan? Oh gosh. Um again, it's one of these no. things. We were raised in the UK, obviously, in the seventies especially. Okay, you couldn't really escape it. It wasn't quite as widespread as it is now. We're now obviously huge. Um and I, I've got memories of watching it when I was young, really, really young. Uh, and I just always watched it. Although, that said, I did drift away in the 80s as I started to become a teenager because, you know, life became much more interesting outside of the house. Um, and then, oddly, and I, you know, don't judge me on this, but I came back to Doctor Who for episode two of Time of the Rani, which is an interesting thing to drag me back into <laughs> Doctor Who. You know, when I was rewatching the whole series recently, I got to that point, I'm watching and thinking, what about this episode hooked me in? I mean, really, what hooked me in? Because I have no idea. But It has a unique charm. It, yes, it definitely has a unique charm. Um, and I've just stayed with it ever since. I mean, I, I think I go through, I have gone through phases over the years where I get a bit, as I say, hooed out. You know, because it's so much, so much, so much. Um, certainly in the 90s, I went through a phase where I was just like, oh, I mean, I'm tired of all the... Uh, books were being released, you know, two books a month throughout the year. That was 24 books a year. That was a lot of reading. Um, so, but I always come back, you know. I always come back because it is my first TV love and I think it always will be, ultimately. Although there are a few contenders at the moment. But we won't mention them, but, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's talk a little bit about the Lethbridge Stewart line. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. How Which did one? the series get started? What 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 was the um, reason why uh, Candy Jar Books decided to pick up and, and take off What's, with Lethbridge Stewart? And why uh, Lethbridge Stewart? Why Lethbridge Stewart? Basically, because I knew, or no, rather, the grandson of Mervyn Hayesman, of course, co-creator of Lethbridge Stewart, the character, 
Um, and through various circumstances, he put me in touch with his sister, Hannah, who's the executor of her grandfather's estate. And she was telling me about some of the stuff that her grandfather's written that never got published. And I'm like, you know, I think Kenny John might be interested because Sean's a fan as well. So there may be some interest there. So I started to get in touch with Sean, put in contact with Sean. Um, they got talking. And then after they had been meeting, Sean rang me. He's like, she owns left the Stewart. I'm like, I know. And it didn't even, for some reason, it didn't occur to me about, you know, that just, I don't know why it didn't, it should have occurred to me straight away, but it did not. But I'm like, I know, I know. He's like, yeah, but we can use him. I'm like, ah. And of course, well, it was a foregone conclusion, really. It was, like I keep saying, it seemed like when we announced it, so many people were surprised because it seemed almost like maybe it was a too obvious thing for anybody to really think about. But obviously it came to us and we did and here we are. So it, 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 was, a, it was a fairly quick process in fairness. I, you'd expect it to be a long drawn out thing, but we arranged the license and contract with Hannah pretty quickly actually. And I remember the first, as I said, the first call we had, me and Sean talking about it, and it was one of these we didn't even consider where would we set the series because obviously he's got quite a story of life. And it was just instinctively both of us said, like post Web of Fear, it just wasn't even a consideration. We just knew that's where we we're going to go, and we did. Obviously, you may have noticed. It's <laughs> <laughs> such a ripe and fertile ground of that time between Web of Fear and the invasion. Yeah. I mean, there's, like I keep saying, there's still, there's basically four years-ish, give or take, narrative there. Because in Invasion, he said to me, like, four or so years since we last saw blah, blah. So, you know, that's a fair whack of years to tell a story. You know, at least just, I mean, and that's not even going on, what about post-unit, you know, or post-Battlefield, or, you know, there's loads, so much about his history we still have never really seen. I mean, various books and audios have touched upon it, especially the gap we're doing. There's been a few little bits here and there, references, but it's basically been untapped. So it's kind of an obvious place to go, literally go back to where it began. You know, that was the beginning of the story. So let's actually pick it up there. And obviously we did. That's what I find uh, most interesting about it is that there is a... Uh, number of things out there that kind of touch on Lethbridge Stewart's past, kind mm-hmm. of give us little hints and indications. But it doesn't seem like, at least in my limited uh, knowledge and research, because unfortunately I haven't had a chance to read a lot of the audio. Or well, lot of the, you want, uh, you're the newer fan, right? I'm yeah, I, well, I'm not the newer fan. Actually, Keith is. Oh, it's Keith. Um, but when okay. I was in the kind of what's called the wilderness years, yeah, yeah, I I, we didn't have a lot of access as much here in the States as yeah. they did in the U.K., um, and I was kind of distanced from it. It wasn't until just before the new series came back on that I kind of got back into uh, Doctor Who right. or back into it. But uh, in my limited research, it doesn't seem there's a, like there is a lot of uh, Lethbridge Stewart's background out there. And so I find it interesting that you guys have been able to kind of have a open sandbox to kind of explore and uh, detail things in Lethbridge Stewart's life, not just in that post Web of Fear era. But you've also been able to kind of harken back and give Lethbridge Stewart a bit of a backstory. Yeah, it, it's a strange one because, like you say, there's not a whole lot of it, but there is some. But then our, our issue was a case of 
of all these things that have been revealed about him in the various books and what have you, a lot of these books aren't freely available anymore. You know, you'd really have to track them down and pay a hell of a lot to get them. So the wider fan base may not even be aware of most of it. So it's like, do we behold ourselves to that? To all this stuff that people, most people won't necessarily know? Or do we just kind of go free reign and just, you know? But as you guys know from reading the books, I try to acknowledge stuff as much as I can in so much that it doesn't constrict us. But it, it's, it's, it's a juggling act because we don't want to insult people who have followed the character for 40 plus years or nearly 50 years actually but at the same time we obviously don't want to be constricted by stuff that isn't on the tv you know because if it's anything that's not been on the tv then i kind of try to make it fit if i can but if it totally constricts what i'm trying to do creatively then obviously i'm gonna have to kind of ignore it a little bit because the tv stuff's the barometer beyond that it's you know it's a juggling act but of course, that being said, when mm-hmm. you brought David McEntee on board to write Schizoid Verse, yes. he actually sort of tied into oh, the that was book that he had written. Prior oh, Face of the Enemy. Yes, yeah. that was that was a directive, I believe the phrase would be from me. Because um, when when we and Sean first devised, right, we've got this, we're going to do these four books. We obviously want to mine as much of the Hazeman stuff we can because that's the license. But also, it'd be nice if we can touch on you know this and this and this. And I always remember being that Face of the Enemy was always one of my favourite sort of standalone Brigadier stories because in that book, of course, it's just him and the Master leading the way. So it's basically almost a proto Left with Stuart novel in a manner of speaking, you know. So that was one of the things I did say to Stuart. I was like, we need to get McKinty because I think it'd be kind of fun to kind of set up inferno without using the you know copyright type stuff but also link it into what david did it's the enemy which is of course a sequel to inferno so it kind of gives a kind of trilogy type feel almost and i did say to him you know if we're going to do this can we, let's bring in marion car because i remember being a really good character and he did a really good job you know i think is i enjoyed it it was it was a process, but it was ultimately enjoyable, I think. You know, people have liked the book quite a bit. I know you guys were a bit up and, you know, but as you say, you, when you reread it and you really thought more about it, you got the end, you're like, well, no, actually, yeah, it works and it's fun and it's quite different from the other books. Yeah. That's obviously something important to us is that the first four books had to be quite diverse. Because so I always look at it this way, because I remember Gary Russell once told me when I was talking to him about Big Finish stuff, saying, like, it must have been cool to be able to do Doctor Who the way you want it. And he's like, oh, no, 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 no. In my view, I'm going to do not Doctor Who as I want it, because if I just do the Doctor Who I like, then there's only a very small section of fandoms going to like it who are people who you know are keying with me. But I have to make Doctor Who that appeals to as broad a range as possible. you know. And I'm very much the same with Letford Stewart's like Some of the stories, although I like them because I wasn't really working on them, they're not necessarily the stories that I would personally gravitate towards normally because obviously we've got to reach as many people as we can. So we've got to have as diverse as possible in terms of story. And I think, I don't know, I mean, certainly the response seems to suggest we've succeeded in creating quite a diverse range with the first four. So that's just the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk a little specifically Hold on a second, Glenn. i got a question. Go ahead, please. Just, just to okay. dovetail off of what Glenn asked earlier about... Um, being able to, you know, 
try and behold yourself to the immense canon out there that you said you didn't want to do, were there bits yeah. and pieces of it that you thought, oh, I'm totally going to work that in and make it as canonical as I can for my stuff? What, what was uh, there, there had to have been a, a couple of pieces that you were like, yes, well, I'm taking that. This, yeah, um, I think there are certain beats from the stuff that we know of the Brigadier's life around that era that I'm like, I want to obviously acknowledge the fact that he had this first wife, Fiona, who of course is Kate's mother. Although by Kate in a new who implies that all that background's true. So it's kind of you kind of want to acknowledge it anyway, but obviously do it again expectations, which obviously is what we're doing. Um then of course as you know, group Captain Gilmore, the whole thing with that that because that was something established in a few of the books in the nineties. And it's something that's become so accepted in Who fandom that it's like it'd be wrong not to acknowledge it on some level. Or at least do our version of it. Not contradictory, but in a slightly different way that's not expected. Because again, it has to be something fresh and new. As long as it doesn't contradict too much, maybe. Um, but yeah, there's certain elements of his story from the other books and stuff that I kind of want to touch base on. But again, not to the point where it's kind of constrict what we're doing. Because, you know, obviously we're trying to create new stuff and we don't want to just retell everything that people know. Because where's the fun in that? <laughs> you know, we want to make new stuff, you know. So it seems we're doing it quite well so far. You know, so far. Speaking of Gilmore. Oh, yes. I, I am a huge fan of Downtime. I've always liked Mark Platt. Yeah. I, I liked the direct video or... Uh, it's almost like a uh, fan project in a way, even though it was professionally made and released on video in the, in the 90s, I believe it was. Um, and then Mark also wrote the novelization, which yeah. did, the, the uh, BBC did canonize in the sense that, well, loose based canon, in the sense that it, it was included in the book range as well under yeah. the Doctor title. Yeah, the third Doctor was in it, the fourth Doctor was in it, so right. it became kind of. Yeah. So I've always been appreciative that you've sort of hinted to the link between Downtime and the Lethbridge Stewart series. And it well, seems like you're kind of beholding that to um, your own <laughs> canon as well. And well, Downtime's a difficult one for me because it. I remember watching, I've read the book as well, and it's very clearly the second invasion attempt by the intelligence. And clearly, for our books to work, it can't be. Because otherwise, we can't use intelligence, really. <laughs> if that was its second attempt in 95, then we've got 30 years of narrative that we can't bring him back in. And that's one of our major licenses, so it'd be stupid not to. Um, so, as you know from that short story, Legacies, I've basically put down that downtime. See, my... It's, it's a tough one to explain. <laughs> my, <laughs> it really is so complicated. Um, these things you have to think about, it's insane. Um... My theory, the way I baselined Leopard Stewart, is that it spun off from Doctor Who, the TV show, and that's the barometer. That's what we hold a candle to at the end of the day. That's our main point of reference always. Um, so you've got all the BBC books, you've got the new adventures, you've got version stuff, you've got the audios, you've got so much other stuff which is spun off from TV too, but different points of the TV. So my theory is that all these things are in slightly different continuities, but certain events overlap, but not always in the way that we know. So, for instance, um, the meeting of Gilmore and the Stewart in our short story, it echoes downtime, what's referenced there, 
but it's not necessarily exactly the same because it's a slightly altered. Because I know, I mean, I understand because I'm a fan and I've done it too. Lots of fans like to try to bring it all together into one massive continuity. But the fact is, some of it just can't be reconciled without major, major, major brainstorming, you know. So, again, so I know there's fans out there who will happily try and merge it all together, and that's fine. You know, absolutely. You know, if that's what they want to do, then I'm not going to stop them. But for me as the editor and trying to get the creative through line, that's how I look at it. So it doesn't contradict, but it doesn't overwrite either. Well, so I think it's a balance. I think in that way, too, it shows your respect for the uh, material. Yeah. And, and I appreciate that as a fan and as, yes, as someone that, in my head, I do I do that. I try to kind of bring everything together. <laughs> I um, used to do that all the time. But nowadays, I have to look at it more objectively because of what I'm doing. You know, as a fan, then the inclination would obviously be to try and fit everything together. But because I've got to look at it not as a fan, I have to be a bit more realistic about it, you know, and that's the price. So, well, I think what you did with Forgotten Son and having the great intelligence be the splintered version of the great intelligence is such a creative way to utilize that aspect of it. Yeah. Well, it's quite funny because a few people I've seen to miss that the intelligence in that book is not the intelligence from Web of Fear, intelligence from way, 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 way in its future. Yeah. Post with the Doctor. But most people seem to, well, I would say most, a few people appear to have missed that, which is a shame because I thought it was clear, but I don't know. I guess everybody reads stuff differently, you know. So we'll be bringing him back and hopefully we'll make it clear then. You'll make it very that way, way, way more. I know that Sean's itching to ask you about Beast of Fang Rock because Horror of Fang Rock is actually one of his favorite stories. Yes, I, like I said, I re-listened to your non-spoiler review and I remember he's like, yeah! <laughs> and the speaker's like, crack, we did it. So I'm like, oh yeah. It, it's, yeah. I remember that, man. Because he loves lighthouses, yeah. I do love lighthouses. And, and actually, uh, I wanted to ask that first, uh, which, mm-hmm. you know, because uh, you and I kind of talked about it off mic, but I, I mentioned okay. in a, a Facebook conversation that I felt like there was a lot of lighthouse lore permeated throughout the story. And if that was something that you were interested in or if that just kind of seeped in as part of your research for the book. As I said during that conversation, I said, it's a bit of both. I mean, obviously, I'm a lighthouse, it's, you know, it's all good, but they weren't a huge deal to me. But obviously I know it's a set and a fang rock, so I'm thinking, you know, because it's a book, as opposed to a TV show where the designers do all the work for you, because, I mean, Terrence done it easy, you know what I mean? He wrote the script, and the designers had to bring it to life. So, he didn't, you know, his research would have been very different to what I had to do. So when I'm writing research, and I had to make sure I knew what I was talking about, because it would have to come through in the text. And we got a lighthouse about 20 minutes away from us, it's a very small one in comparison. But I went there, spoke to the lighthouse keeper, and he's telling me all kinds of stories, a lot of which I actually used in. And I've researched insane amount of lighthouses. I'm just reaching out to get a book to show you. Um, especially this book I was looking at called Rock Lighthouses of Britain. And it's got so much history about lighthouses. And I, put, I got a lot of information from this book. So there's an in Fang Rock. A lot of the stories you hear about Fangrock's past are based on real things. 
uh, obviously applied a flying rock as opposed to the real lighthouses. So I've lifted, you know, like building stories, like the story about, was it Alfred Scott? That's oh, it. Yeah, yeah. You know, Alfred Scott character. The story that it gets told about his younger brother who died building the lighthouse and so he took over because he's the only person who could earn the bread for the family at 15. That's based on a real story of a real event for one of the main properties. So, I, yeah, so researching it, but it did give me a new appreciation of my houses, like real appreciation. And I really, just studying it, I really want to go and visit a proper rock lighthouse in the middle of the ocean and where waves just going halfway up the tower. I imagine it would be scary as hell. Oh, my God. You know, I, I wanted to do that during um, writing, but time wasn't allowing it. It's a shame. Because that would have made a book quite different <laughs> if I had experienced it. You know. And uh, Terrence Dix wrote the foreword for that one, if I remember correctly. Is that right? For Beasts? He wrote the foreword for Forgotten Son. Oh, that was, it was Forgotten Son. Well, and Louis, of course, Louise Jameson wrote, was the. Yeah, that's right. It was Louise Jameson. But Terrence wrote uh, Horror Fang Rock. Of course, yeah. uh, had you talked to him about writing Beast uh, at any point? Before or after you've written it? Well, my original plan, because obviously, as we know, we lost the title in the first series, so we had to rearrange crazy, you know, quickly, quickly, and we needed another book to make the four. Um, and in fact, I mean, I, I was hoping we was going to do a the Beast of Fanwork at some point anyway. I was spoken to Terence about it, and he was, he said, like, he was, he's busy at the moment, but, you know, maybe later. So we discussed the basic idea of what I wanted to do. Um, and then, of course, as I say, his title fell through, so we had to bring Schizoda forward, which meant we had a spot which needed filling very quickly. And because we're still at the start of the series, we don't have many writers who are well-versed enough in what we're doing to get it done as quick as we needed it. So obviously, the only person who could have done it was me. So I, I kind of had no choice. So... I went to tell him, explained to him the situation, and I said, like, I want to do it. You know, it's, it's based on, obviously, the stuff we talked about. It's based on the story of the piece that you told in Horror Fang Rock. Um, and I said, I'll give you the credit, because obviously it's still based on your story, you know. And he was like, yeah, that's fine, no problem. And I said, obviously, we'll... And he was really cool about it, because we chatted a bit about it at the um, Forgotten Sun signing when it got launched as well. So, yeah. He was, he's a very, he's a, he's a proper old school gent. You know, really he is. You know, you hear the stories about Terence. He's been around the Doctor Who since 69. And he's everything you would imagine him to be. He really is. He's just such a wonderful guy. So it was, it was an honor to do a sequel to one of the biggest, most popular Doctor Who stories. There was no pressure in that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Do you have plans to maybe try and bring Terrence back at some point in time down the road? I'd like to, definitely like to. But again, it would be obviously depend on his schedule and various other, you know, scenarios and whatnot. But, you know, if time allows and we've got the space in the schedule and all that, then obviously we'd love to in some form or another. I mean, even co-writing a book, maybe. I don't know, whatever. It'd be nice at some point. But it's it's great that he we asked him we told him what we're doing with the series and asked him for the forward for for Gonson 
He's like, oh, he's like, yeah, pleasure, absolutely. How many words do you want it to be? Tell him how many words. And he delivered, delivered it exactly on the word count. <laughs> I mean, proper old school writing. The consummate writer. Like, these are the words. That's exactly what you get. So it's like, oh, it's so good. It's so nice to deal with people like that. You're like, yeah, you make my job so much easier. I think that harkens back to the uh, yeah. the target novelization days, doesn't it? They used to say, you know, here, go write this story, but it needs to be 268 pages and then stop. Yeah. <laughs> And he did it, you know. It's, it's amazing you think how many of those novelizations he'd done in that period of time. Cause, and he was working on Doctor Who, the TV show, at the same time. So, you know, you've got to give the man his due. You know, he's, he's a legend of Doctor Who, and that's just, you can't argue that fact. Yeah. You know, so... So I'm glad that he's done a few of the new Who quick read books too, so at least the newer fans are aware of his genius, you know. So... And such a sweet guy, too. Um, he is. Lovely guy. One of the things that um, I was really struck by is the just sense of tone that you use throughout and, and all of the characters and even going back and pulling somebody like Ruben. And even though you're just kind of simply rehashing some of the, the, the dialogue that he had, when they talked about Ruben... I knew instantly that that was that Reuben. I mean, you you just nailed yeah. it by pulling those elements uh, from the from the original episode so well, and it's it's permeated throughout this book. Uh, just every you single see, nuance is there. I'd love to take the full credit for that, but the fact is, Terence did such a great job, and the actors did such a wonderful job with that story. There's, I mean, honestly, if I got it wrong, then I'm an idiot. You know what I mean? Because how can I? How can, it was just the material the the material I was basing it on and everything is so strong you'd have to be a complete you know to get it wrong seriously so it's credit to Terrence on that he, he creates some really good stuff that is you know it was a pleasure to do as a fan were you thinking the Rutans I mean there has to be a little bit of oh, you know <laughs> ah the Rutans there was a there was loads of moments where that sort of surreal feeling like am I really doing this? <laughs> really? This is just what's going on in my life. I still get that now. You know, I mean, like I read some, like I've just finished editing John Peel's book, and you know John Peel again. He's one of the old guard. You know he's done diet novelizations in the nineties. He did some original stuff. You know he's been around for forever as well, and. I'm sitting here thinking, I'm working on John You know, what's going on in my crazy world? You know, <laughs> I used to be just a dude who used to just make coffee for a living. Now I'm doing this. It's, you know, you can't complain, really. Well, we don't want to keep you around too long, but I do want to ask you, no, no, it's without, nice. without giving too much away, obviously, um, yeah. what can we expect from the future of the Lethbridge Stewart line? Um... Gosh, how to answer that diplomatically? <laughs> <laughs> it was pointless. Um, I hope that, you know, as we said earlier, there's lots of key points in his story that we kind of have to, the beats we have to hit, you know. Um, but the trick will be for us all is to hit them in ways that aren't expected. Because we still have to feel fresh and new. So hopefully we'll see more of that, you know, more of what you've got this year. Um, although the next three books are deliberately so less connected to the wider view of who, because we obviously need to prove that we're our own series as well. And 
But not to say that we're not doing more because we do have. Can I really say this? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe not. Um, <laughs> these interviews are bad. I say so. I shouldn't all the time. Um, we have plans for lots of key moments in his life. There's lots of. There's, this year, for instance, like the six books. The first three are quite standalone ish in the sense of they're not necessarily connected to the larger scape of who. But their development of everything we've done so far, the setting up of the fifth operational core, you know, the proto unit thing that we're obviously setting up, you'll finally see that happen in the first three books. Um, but again, hopefully not quite the way you're expecting it to be. You can you can expect them to move to Scotland, which would be quite fun, you know, back to his homeland. So we get to explore this other side of his um, ancestry, so that would be quite fun. Um, obviously we've got to see a lot more of Anne because one thing we were very, very, very keen on from day one is that she was going to be a co-lead in the series, you know, and we were, as you, as you said in your review for Fang Rock, we were clearly building her up throughout each book till she took lead in Fang Rock. And you'll see her take lead once or twice again, you know. Um, Chorley will return, of course. Yay. We'll back. The Dominators will return, not necessarily this year, but they're definitely... We have got a plan for them. The great intelligence. Does that mean we get to see more quarks? Um, well, they were all destroyed, weren't they? <laughs> Although, but that said, at the end of um, Mutually Sure Domination, I'm looking down because I can see the book. Um, not because I'm just weird. Um, at the end of that book, it does mention that some quark tech and stuff went onto the vault, and that eventually ends up where the brig's going. I can't call it a brig. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think we just do, though, don't we? I mean, that's just it's what we've known. It's it's it. Well, that's another thing, of course. You know, we will also be showing him earning that name because he's going to get promoted, obviously, soon. Because, again, the, the perception is that he was promoted to brigadier when he took over unit. But, again, that's a four-year gap. So I think, is that, is that straightforward? No. You know, and that's the fun we got. That's what we got to look forward to. Is that those four years of telling the stuff that you know from invasion and spearhead and everything else, you can you'll get to see these things being built up bit by bit, and hopefully in new ways that won't necessarily be anticipated. And if they are, then obviously we're not doing our job very well, you know, because we have to keep <laughs> you guys on your toes. But I'm sure you'll let us know if it's working or not. Don't worry. We'll be tuning oh, you mentioned in. that post-Battlefield, is there plans after tackling this four-year gap to jump to the end of his timeline? Well, ideally, again, ultimately it will always come to, as long as the fans are wanting it and they've been making enough money, because obviously it's a business, you know, all that. You know, um, if it's viable to continue doing, then I have provisional plans to have at least three phases of the narrative. You obviously we've got the four-year now, then we'll hopefully get around to doing a post-unit stuff, explaining why, you know, how he left unit and why he went into teaching and the truth behind that. Because we've, I've come up with some interesting takes on why he's actually teaching. Uh, again, it's not quite as clear as we, uh, you know, we believe. Because you know, where's the fun in that? Um, and yes, yeah, so then it'd be post. And then you've got that big gap, or basically post-battlefield to his death, which is a, a long few years. We're talking 97 through to 2012-ish, 
So that's a fair whack of years to tell, you know, showing him going through his old age and all this stuff. So not provisional plan, but again, it's always depending on how successful and popular and the reception and everything else is. As long as fans keep wanting it. And that said, of course, I don't know if I'm shooting myself in the foot if I'm still there at the end of it. Because that would be a long, a lot of time taken in my life. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, if I if I was there right to the end of it, then realistically speaking, for me that'd probably be about twenty years of work. Because it probably take that long. Yeah. Can you think about it? Because although we keep saying it's the four year gap, doesn't mean it's only going to be four years for us to tell it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first four books, for instance, only cover four months of those four years. So if you work it out, that's a lot of books. Yeah. You know, plus all the short stories in between, you know, and God knows what else we can do. Although we are, I've got a short story I'm working on for next year, well, sort of novella, um, which will be set at a different period of his life. It's, I don't want to give it too much away right now, but, <laughs> but it's, um, it's going to be set primarily, I believe, in the late 80s oh hmm. but in hopefully in again ways that won't necessarily be expected hopefully um so yeah it's basically we get it's, it's going to be a kind of what could we do that's not expected and but also hitting these beats i mean a good example when i keep talking about that to explain is in invasion it's stated very clearly that Anne and her dad have gone to america for a year that's why they're not in our story so we obviously have to get our characters at that point within those four years that we're doing. So by the end of that four-year story, that's where Anne's got to leave with Travers and go off to America. So we have to do that. But how we do it will hopefully, again, be something quite different and not what people would probably expect. So I say that now, you're going to start expecting it. <laughs> I think that's what I like, Andy, is the fact that it is in ways that we don't expect it, and it always seems to be that way. And you guys seem to kind of be stretching the bounds of storytelling, and I think that's what is most appreciative of this these, this series, is while I think we've said in the past that you know it feels like watching an episode of Doctor Who, there's, there's times where... Uh, it's very much like Doctor Who. And then there's times where it's very much its own thing. And I think that be, having striking that balance between the two is certainly what makes this series enjoyable. And so I, I'm excited to hear you say that you guys are going to continue to kind of stretch that down. Well, yeah, we have to, because the, the trick is, like like I keep saying all to the authors, when they come board, this is what we're doing. Give it that nostalgic feel of the 60s slash 70s, but still make it fresh and new for today's audience. So trying to merge today's modern way of storytelling and perceptions of what story is and character, and, you know. So and the way we do that, I think, is that all the stories ultimately are about the people. You know, ultimately, it's the characters that are leading the story. You know, like surely led, mutual um, sure domination. Obviously, Left for Stuart led the Forgotten Son, and the story about a family was at the heart of Easter Fan Rock, and of course, Schizodorf was very much about visit his family again um, and that's that's the modern way of telling stories it's always about the emotional journey of the characters I mean that's how you know S.H.I.E.L.D. Supernatural all that great great stuff out there it's always about the characters always about what they're going through 
Whereas the old way was more about, about the story, about the plot, about, you know. So it's trying to, again, find that balance, giving it that emotional core, but still making it feel like it would could have existed in that period of Doctor in the 60s and 70s. So, again, it's a tough one to, to find that right balance. But I think most of the time we've managed to do that, I think. I'm sure there's a few moments where it's not quite worked, but... You know, early days, you know, it's, I mean, we've only done it for one year so far, so it's still very early days, and last year was definitely a learning curve for all of us, you know. This year, everything's a lot smoother already, because as I say, you know, by the end of last year, I already had all the first three books of this year planned out. The last three books of this year are being written now, and I'm already working with authors on the six titles for next year. So, and making provisional plans for 2018, because that's the 50th anniversary of the brig. Oh, yes. yes. So, obviously, we have to do something for that. We've got, again, not to give anything away, but we do have some interesting ideas for a trilogy of books to celebrate this 50 years of the brig, which, again, hopefully will be very unexpected. But it's going to be, it's going to take a lot of planning, that one, to get it right. You know, it's... Well, hopefully we can do it. Yeah. I think you will. Well, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> well, Andy, I, I have faith sure, in you. <laughs> I'm sure we can sit here oh, and just chat with you all night, but uh, I'm afraid we're only going to have a little bit of time to go, and it's probably getting late there for you. So um, on, on, behalf of, us, it's all good. <laughs> on behalf of all of us, I want to thank you for, uh, number one, the work you've been putting into that and Candy Jar Books for all that you guys have done. Uh, with this series. Glenn, lean all, into your mic just a little bit, bud. So we all quite enjoy it. Um, and uh, thank you for uh, joining us on this interview and, and allowing our listeners to get a little bit of uh, insight into uh, the Lethbridge-Stewart uh, series. Can I just say one thing before we go? Yes, please. Because I just remembered that I was supposed to mention this, and I've, we got so sidetracked I forgot to mention it, and I will get slap on the wrist. That's okay. That's okay. <laughs> Don't forget, from next month, we have the audiobooks of Serenity oh, One. Yes, out, absolutely. Yeah. Which, and as I said, I've listened to the first chapter in the prologue, and Terry Malloy does an amazing job. He really does some. It's, it's, it's been, it was weird listening because obviously I wrote it, but I got so caught up in it, I kind of forgot that I'd written it. Because he, <laughs> he obviously narrates it, but he also brings the characters to life quite in a way that. It's quite weird when you write it. You think, did I do that? Was that really mine? That's weird. So it's really exciting time. You know, we've got a lot of fun stuff coming up. So not only have we got six new books this year, plus other stuff, we have four audio books coming out through Phantom Films. So, yeah, it's an exciting time. Crazy, but exciting. So, yeah, <laughs> make sure everybody picks up those. Yes, ab- absolutely. All right. Well, thank you for joining us again. You're welcome. And, uh, it's been fun. Hopefully we can get you on the show again in the future time. Hey, man, any time, so let us know. Right. But let's work out the kinks next time. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Andy. All right, man, you guys take care, yeah? You, you too. too. You too. And there you go. So I hope you enjoyed that. And, uh, again, we want to thank Andy for joining us on the program because uh, he was able to uh, pencil us in today. And as as we talked to him this afternoon here it was evening for yeah. him, and I was afraid it was getting very late. So, <laughs> although he didn't seem to mind, he no. he almost seemed like he could have sat and chatted with us for much longer as well. I think Which we were all we having all a really good time. Yeah, yeah, we were all having a grand time. So, unfortunately, this shows you know we don't want to make it too large. So. Yeah. 
we do need to get on uh, Kieran and find oh, out. I'd about, love to get Andy br- 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 bring to come here for time, Eddie. Especially since John Peel's going to be there. Yeah, yeah. So, Sean, what do we have coming up on the schedule? Well, coming up on the schedule, which I was terrified during Friday Night Who that I had typed it in incorrectly, and I had to go double-check myself. It turns out <laughs> I was right, so yay. Um, for those of you that do follow the scheduling, uh, yes, we had originally planned to do some uh, Titan Comics tonight as well with the Tenth Doctor. We have uh, in the, uh, uh, as with real shows when they have interviews with guests, uh, needed to bump them. So they will, <laughs> they've been bumped. They're back in the green room and we'll, we'll, we'll trot them out at some point in time down the road. Not sure when yet. Uh, but coming up, uh, when we for- need a Kevin Nealon to come out and fill the tonight show. <laughs> <laughs> when, uh, Friday night who for this coming week is the animated scream of the Shalka. So you can feel free to join us for that at midnight on Friday. Uh, we push play and uh, feel free to tweet along, uh, hashtag Friday night who, and we've already reviewed that one, so that means episode number 226. We are going to start uh, the second season of Big Finish's Eighth Doctor Adventures, starting with number one, Dead London, and number two, Max Warp, which I'm all excited for because it's about time we get some more Paul McGann on the show. Yes. Uh, following that up is Doctor Who the Movie for Friday Night Who, which again is one we've already reviewed, but that gives us the opportunity to go beyond the Doctor the following week. Uh, with uh, Paul McGann in With Nail and I. So we will be watching that film and then uh, kind of disseminating his performance on the show, and hopefully he's in it a little bit more than Sylvester <laughs> McCoy was in Dracula. Well, and we'll probably also touch I on have Richard on good Grant. Authority. I, have, yeah, part of the, I have on good authority that he is in it a lot more. I, 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 th- I believe you're right there. Uh, and as Keith pointed out, we'll also touch on Richard E. Grant, just because, well, he's also played the Doctor. Um, a twofer. Twice. Then uh, we're, we're going to start a new uh, uh, discussion on Lost episodes, starting with William Hartnell's The Crusade. Um, we are planning on doing at least part of it for Friday Night Who, which could present a little bit of a logistical problem because I don't know how easy it'll be to track a hold of whatever pieces of it. I haven't even looked, quite honestly, to see what's available. Um, <laughs> I, know I know that, that it's in the Lost in Time box set, whatever is out there. I but, know yeah. that through the limited research that I've done that the loose canon stuff has shown up on um, – YouTube, so that might be an option for people. Uh, keep in mind, though, if you watch along with us, you know, want to make sure you have maybe several windows open so you can just pop over and start the next one as soon as the or that or goes. set up a playlist. Yeah, uh, that would work too. We've got uh, access to the loose cannon uh, episodes uh, ourselves, so we will be reviewing the loose cannon versions. Thank you for uh, I don't know if that. there are. Uh, <laughs> I know there are several different groups that were putting together recons. Uh, primarily, we will be focusing on Loose Cannon uh, unless there's just something not available by, from Loose Cannon. But I do know that uh, we have access to uh, the crusade uh, that was reconstructed by Loose Cannon. And then, uh, obviously, uh, future stuff coming up. I want to throw a, a shout-out for anybody who's uh, local in the area that we will be appearing at Empower Comic Con, uh, which is happening here in Topeka, Kansas, on... Uh, what are the dates here? February 20th and 21st. So it's a weekend con. It's here in Topeka. It's at the Capitol Plaza Hotel. Uh, and it's uh, all about empowering you to be you. And we were invited uh, by charity. So we're going to we're gonna go. Yep. I'm excited. Your opportunity to see us live. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't know what we're doing yet. <laughs> so there's that. All right. Is there anything else? 
Obviously, if you're uh, already supporting us on Patreon, continue to subscribe or support us on Patreon. Uh, and if you're not, please consider doing so. Uh, you can also click on the various links on the right side of our homepage and profits from those portions of those profits go to us. So, Anything else? I don't think so. All right. That's going to do it for this week. Until next week, I'm Glenn. I'm Sean. And I'm Keith. Cheers. Good night, everybody. Be seeing you. Thanks for listening. And that. You have been listening to Traveling the Vortex. Doctor Who and all of its associated programs are owned and trademarked by the BBC. No infringement is intended or implied.